Welcome to Walking in Faith with Pastor Rob Currington. This podcast is dedicated to helping develop lifelong seekers of the Kingdom of God. Each week, Pastor Rob helps bring God's message for living to those seeking a richer and more Christ-filled life. Now let's join Pastor Rob as he shares this week's message. Come to you just to proclaim your greatness and your wonder. And we thank you for bringing us here together, Lord, as, as one people with one voice to proclaim that you are Lord. Thank you so much for what a beautiful, wonderful day you've given us in this body of believers. And I pray that you just move within us this morning. I pray that we would just celebrate your presence, expressing our love to you. And Lord, may you find that pleasing in your sight. We pray this in the name of your Son, who makes it possible. Amen. Take your Bibles, if you would, and turn to Mark chapter 10. Title of this week's message is Come with Empty Hands. Once again, we're going to see that the words of Jesus are going to ruin someone's life, someone's dreams and aspirations. Don't you just love it when you come to somebody for advice or to share some form of good news, only to have them shoot you down? You know someone like that? That's their spiritual gift. Now, I know some people who I believe that's their spiritual gift, is shooting down dreams and aspirations and good news. They are like the sharpshooter in a carnival gallery, popping balloons with an air gun. In today's passage, we will revisit a real-life encounter between Jesus and a rich man who is seeking eternal life. Last week, you might recall that Mark declared the gospel through Jesus' interaction with children. In that passage, we saw that God's sovereign grace in choosing to receive little children who have done nothing to earn his acceptance and love. We saw Walter Wessel, a theologian, said that he writes that Jesus is pointing out that children in their receptivity and their dependence exemplify the characteristics of those who possess God's kingdom. In other words, only those who respond to Jesus with total trust can enter the kingdom of God. We looked at the spiritual truth that you and I must come willingly to Christ, trusting that Jesus receives us with open arms in order that the Father may give us good gifts based on grace and not our own works. In this way, we're going to see one, or last week we saw children coming to Him empty-handed. This week we're going to see someone coming with their hands full, but yet not receiving or being received. Mark chapter 10, 17 through 31. In verse 17, we find the interaction. As Jesus was setting out on his journey, a man ran up and knelt before him and asked him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Do not defraud and honor your father and mother. And he said to him, Teacher, all of these I have kept from my youth. And Jesus, looking at him, loved him and said to him, You lack one thing. Go, sell all that you have, give it to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, and come and follow me. Disheartened in verse 23, by the saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. Verse 23, and Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, how difficult it will be for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. And the disciples were amazed at his words. But Jesus said to them again, children, 
how difficult it is to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. And they were exceedingly astonished and said to them, Then who can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, With man it is impossible, but not with God. For all things are possible with God. Peter began to say to him, See, we have left everything and followed you. And Jesus said, Truly I say to you, there is none who has left house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or lands for my sake and for the gospels who will not receive a hundredfold now in this time houses and brothers and sisters, mothers and children and lands with persecution and in the age to come eternal life. But many who are first will be last and the last first. Father, this is a famous well-known portion of Scripture. We know this back and forward, so very quickly we assume that we know exactly what's going on. But I pray, Lord, that we would just take a moment, that we'd open up our minds and hearts and allow your Spirit to fill us this morning. Lord, I pray that we would read it with fresh eyes, trying to understand what not only Jesus is saying here, but what Mark is trying to tell his Roman church. And Father, I pray as we look now in our days, how does this apply to our lives? So, Father, let us know the difference between my words and through your words. For your words, let us hold dear. And, Lord, may we respond to what you called us to do this morning. In your name we pray. Amen. The question today is, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Is being good enough good enough? Can I do all the right things? Can I obey the right laws? Is this passage about social justice, about selling all of our goods and, and giving it to the poor? Is it presenting a social gospel? We're going to see that those answers are no. You can't be good enough. It's not about just giving away our stuff. The key theme that we're going to be looking at this morning is that salvation, as we saw last week, is totally a work of God. I want to share with you five things as we go through this passage. Number one is you and I must understand that everyone is searching for something more. Everyone is searching for something more. This young man said, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Now you might say, wait a minute, pastor. Last week you said that it was written in both the Old Testament and the New Testament that none is righteous, no, not one. No man understands and no one seeks after God. And that is true. However, Scripture also tells us that God has put eternity into man's heart. Meaning that though we may have all we want, and though we may attain many things, and though that you and I may enjoy life, we still know something is missing. That's why people are struggling and, and spending so much energy trying to fill the holes in their life. There is something missing. We're searching for something greater, something that gives us purpose, something that gives us an identity. Matthew, in his telling of this story, tells us that this man was young in age, while Luke tells us that he was also a ruler, hence why most of our bios will give this passage the heading of the rich young ruler. In my mind, I believe that this young man may have recently inherited his wealth and position, most likely with the passing of his father. This is my opinion, is that after securing his inheritance here on earth, his mind is now set on the next life. He realizes, hey, my father's built all this, and he's dead, and I inherit it. 
what happens now when I die? He secured his life here, but what about the life after? You notice he doesn't ask how to earn eternal life, but inherit eternal life. As a Jewish man, a Hebrew, a descendant of Abraham, he's aware of God's promise to the children of Abraham. He wants to be assured of his next step. He believes he is entitled to eternal life. Not earned, but inherited. It's entitled to him. It's part of his heritage, his inheritance. However, Jesus is going to demolish that way of thinking really quick. And I would pause here and say, maybe there's some of you here this morning, that you still are looking for something more. Your life is missing something. And for many people, they think it's, well, it's a better job. It's a better career. For some, it must be a better salary. Maybe it's a, a better home or a better car. And there's been times in my life where those types of things were very important to me, especially when I didn't have them. And maybe there's been a time in your life where you have tamed something, but then you realize, well, wait, I need something else. Maybe you're here this morning. Or maybe you have those things or don't have this. You're just searching. Let me share with you, everyone is searching for something more. And just like this young man, whether you have much or you have little, we're looking for our place in this world and even the next. We're looking for meaning. And it's very important as we share the gospel. And I'm seeing here that many of you have already proclaimed the gospel. You proclaim a, a profession of Christ. And so whether you have or you're not, what we do is we share with people. We need to, that's one of the ways in which we look. What is it that they're searching for? So everyone is searching for something more in their life. The second point I see in this passage is that self-righteousness is not enough to make one right with God. The self-righteousness, the things that we do, the things and way in which we obey and try to earn our righteousness, it does not make one right with God. Jesus asks, why do you call me good? In essence, Jesus is asking this young man if he knows what that word means. When he says, only God is good, he's asking, do you believe that I am God? Are you willing and ready to accept my answer? In response to this man's question, Jesus lists six of the last ten commandments. Do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. He adds one or brings one with covenant with do not defraud. And then he ends with honor your father and mother. All of these have to do with loving your neighbors, these last six commandments. It's the second greatest commandment that we see from Jesus. All having to do with his relationship with others. How good of a person are you? How do you treat others? The young man responds in verse 20, all these things I've kept from my youth. In his view, he was a good man. In his view, he had done so. He was a righteous man according to the law. Now you and I must remember as we read this that we're on this side of the cross. We have a more complete revelation of Christ as we've seen with the Pharisees' interaction with Jesus, they believed that the law was for outward obedience. Jesus, though, had corrected their warped view and taught that that outward obedience without heart obedience is worthless. So this young man thought he obeyed perfectly, not realizing that before the Almighty God, before the judge, his heart actually condemned him. Jesus responds to his testimony by saying, you lack one thing. Go, sell all that you have 
and give to the poor and you'll have treasure in heaven and come, follow me. Mark, in his gospel, records that Jesus looked at this man with love. There's something about this man in his search that turned the heart of Christ. That's why he came into this world, is to help men like him. However, love requires you and I, and this is important, I want you to hear this. Love requires you and I to speak the truth rather than confirm that someone is a good person. A failure to do so condemns one to a godless eternity. We have to be careful in our sharing of the gospel and our living out the gospel and all of its implications that we never confirm to someone that yes, you are good and you are right with God because of what you've done and what you could do. To do so is to, confirm, is to condemn them to a godless eternity. We send the wrong message. And unfortunately, there are many pastors and many churches who do that very thing in which we confirm someone's goodness and their, their standing before God by their works only. And we spoke about this in our looking at the book of Galatians and the letter to the Ephesians or James. But we need to recognize that love requires us not only just confirm, well, those are good things, but also show that it's not enough. You see, sincerity of a person is not enough. This young man was sincere. He truly wanted to know how to obtain that which he was missing. He desired it. He truly thought he was doing right and obeying God. Sincerity is not enough to assure a place in the kingdom of God. Jesus here exposes what is missing in this young man's life by giving him really the first commandment where it says you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. You might recall earlier in Mark that Jesus had warned his disciples, if anyone would come after me, let him what? Deny himself and take up his what? Cross and finish the phrase with me and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake and the Gospels will save it. Jesus exposes that's what's missing in his life is obeying the first commandment, loving the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul. R.T. France writes that what Jesus requires of this man is a full renunciation of his possessions and a total change in his lifestyle. We can't come to Christ half-hearted. We can't come to him and saying, this is what I have and hold things back. But don't we find ourselves doing that? Is that not the struggle of the Christian life of always trying to hold something back before God? It's like little Landon come to me and I say, oh, you can't have that. And he'll say, oh, I don't have anything. You know, and he's hiding it behind his back or something of that nature. Well, let me see what's in that hand. Uh, okay. And we do that with God so many times, but yet just as Jesus could see exactly what was in this young man's heart. He didn't take his testimony for word value. He recognized what was truly missing in this young man's heart is a love for God. You see, he loves something greater. It was time for this young man to count the cost. But unfortunately, Mark tells us that the young man was disheartened by the saying. And he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. He was very sorrowful. Why was he sorrowful? 
because he had great possessions. He treasured his money more than he treasured eternal life. To have one means to give up the other, but yet he loved this world so much more. Hence why Jesus says, love not the world, neither the things that are in this world. But let me ask, before we're too harsh and judge this young man, is there anything in your life that you would refuse to give up to follow Christ? And I have to dare say, if we were very honest with ourselves, if we were to say like the psalmist, search me, O God, there are things that we still hold on to. Many times with both hands, pulling back. Or we're type of people who give to God only to just grab when we think that He's not looking. And so what is it in your heart that you're not yet willing to give to God? What is it that you're holding back? For this young man, he treasured this and the now more than what he's can inherit in the other. To be honest, many of us are the same way. We're so invested in this world. And that's natural, isn't it? It's very difficult to think of that. Are you willing to give up your children? Do any of us pray, Lord, take my child and let him be a missionary to the Muslim lands? We talked about today, India, a billion people, only 2% of missionaries are there with some type of Christian witness. And we've been in India since 1800s with William Carey. How many of us would pray that? But what do we want for our children? We want them to have a life better than ourselves, right? But let me ask, do any of you ever pray, Lord, if you want to make my child a martyr, then be it so. Let it be. Or how about yourself? I'm going to be honest. I don't think I'm always there. It's easy to say. But when it happens, it's very difficult. My prayer is, Father, prepare my heart for whatever my children may do, whatever little Landon or any of my other grandchildren may come, whatever they do. Let me not hold so tight that I'm not willing to give them back to God. So not only is everyone searching for something more, not only is self-righteous not enough, we need to realize that. And you and I live among people who believe self-righteousness is the key. Doing better, being better. But you and I need to stand and like Christ, expose that heart that it's condemned before God. Number three is that it is impossible it is impossible to earn our own salvation. We have got to break this down. This, the gospel keeps hitting this right on the head. You cannot earn salvation on your own. Jesus looked around in verse 23, and he said to the disciples, how difficult it will be for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. This reflects the words of Jesus in the parable of the soils, where he teaches those seeds, speaking about the word of God, that are sown among the thorns, are those who hear the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desires for other things enter in, choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. This young man was a living example of this truth of this parable. He had been choked out by all the possessions that he has that he does not desire the things that are greater. The Jewish people believed that wealth was a sign of God's favor and blessing. So for them, this man should have been a shoe-in for eternal life. But just like many people today wrongly believe, they were wrong. Is that we cannot earn salvation. It's not who you belong to. 
It's not what race you're from. It's not who you're born to. It's not because your grandma was saved. It's not because you went to a VBS. It's not because you have a baptism certificate. It is impossible for you and I to earn our own salvation. Jesus doubles down on that phrase by telling his disciples that it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. Some have tried to tame this teaching down or tried to uh, explain it away because of the impossibility. Could you imagine? I don't know if anyone ever sold. I have tried. It's gotten harder now that I'm older. Is you take a needle, and you know what an eye is of a needle, very small, little opening to put the thread through. I don't know about you, but I have to take my glasses off. I have to get in there, and, and still, it's like, it looks like it's going through, but then when you pull it, it's not. I, it, it's some type of optical illusion that was created by some type of sadist who said, let's do this for it. And when we look at that, you'll hear people come away with all sorts of different stories. You've heard about, oh, it's about a little door in which a camel had to get through. But we continually water down. Oh, Jesus was truly saying, that is an impossible. It's like taking a camel. And I don't know how big a camel is, but man, a camel is big. I don't care if it's a one hump or a two hump. But you try putting that puppy through there, or that, I guess a camel, not a puppy. You try putting him through there, it's not going to happen. I doubt you could get one of his whiskers through. And people say, well, it can't be that. Well, you know what? Let's just let Jesus' words stand. Can we do that? What he's saying is, it is impossible. You and I need to realize that. There's no need to water it down. There's no need to try to tame it down. It is impossible. Let it stand on its own. It's impossible to earn our own salvation. And I believe many times we are guilty of watering down the gospel to others when we present it. We present the gospel as just about heaven. And it's about earning all these wonderful things instead of about being, seeing a magnificent God. Our presentation of the gospel should be taste and see that God is good. Not do you want your best life net or yet. Do you want every day to be like Friday? It's not about just having our tears wiped away. It's not just about having our sorrows and our pains turn away. The gospel is important. It's impossible without Christ. We need to recognize that. Let's not water down the gospel. Let's not so be quick to confirm other people when it's not the true gospel. What did Paul say in Galatians? If anyone gives you a different gospel, let them be what? Accursed? Don't accept it. And let me share with you, if I ever give you a different gospel from this pulpit, then be the first ones with the pitchforks and the torches and come at me. Because there's no other gospel that which, than what Jesus has given us. Amen? The number four. Salvation, then, is only attainable as a gift from God. We must recognize that. And they were exceedingly astonished, speaking of disciples. And they said to them, then who can be saved? In their case, then who can be saved? If you can't get a camel through that, then who can be saved? They could not understand it. They had a wrong vision, a wrong view and still a wrong understanding of what salvation was. This is a spiritual truth that you and I must know, must understand, and you and I must embrace this fact, that salvation is a gift from God. 
David writes in Psalms 37 that the salvation of the righteous is from the Lord. It is God who has ordained salvation. It is Jesus who took our sin as our substitute, bore the wrath of God for the penalty of our sin, who lived a perfect life that obtained the righteousness that is graciously given to us. It is the Holy Spirit that moves by replacing our stony heart with a new heart, filled it with a love for God and guarantees our inheritance of eternal life. All done for us. We cannot do it. We cannot obtain it. We cannot earn it. If you still have your Bibles open to Mark 10 and verse 27, Jesus looked at them and said, with man it is impossible. But look at those great verse. Love that word, but, but not with God. For let's say this with me, for all things are possible with God. Amen? Do you believe that? Now, we're not talking about winning a baseball game or, or some type of thing like that. We're talking salvation is possible. Jesus can reach down and save the worst of sinners. He can save an adulterer as he did with David. He can save a murderer as he did with Moses. He can save a terrorist as he did with Paul. Amen? No one is beyond the reach of God. I think you and I, when we get to heaven, and we're all there in that big sanctuary, and we're praising God, and we're there at the dinner, we are going to be surprised at who's sitting next to us at the table and who's sitting across from us. We are going to be shocked and amazed at those who are not there. So let's be clear. Salvation is a gift from God, only attainable as a gift. So let us be clear in our presentation of the gospel. Let us live a life of gratitude, motivated to follow Christ because of this great gift. Let's see that that gift is worth anything that you and I could obtain here on earth. The preacher of Ecclesiastes found that out the hard way. He was like this rich young man. He gained it all, but realized that what? Vanity of vanities. All thing is what? Vanity. It just empty. It's like a vapor. He realizes, I work for everything, and then someone else gets to spend the spoils. So salvation is only attainable as a gift from God. And then number five, and this is where I may park for just a little bit, is God rewards those who follow Jesus. God rewards those who follow Jesus. Go to old Peter. It's always Peter who's speaking up. Good old Peter wanted to make sure, though, that Jesus knew that they had left everything and followed you. Hey, wait a minute, Jesus, we're not like this rich young man. We did leave everything and follow you, and they did. They had left their nets and their boats, their business. They had left the comfort of their home, though they had went there from time to time. We saw in Mark, but they had left all and followed Jesus. After the rich young man had failed in pleading his case for inheriting eternal life, Peter wanted to make sure that they are successful. He wanted to make sure, wait a second, God, are we okay? Jesus responds to their sacrifice with three promises. In verse 29, if you want to go there so you can follow along with me. In verse 29, Jesus said, truly, truly, or truly, excuse me, truly I say to you, there is no one, there is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or mother or children or lands for my sake and for the gospel. He says, to those who count the cost, find Jesus more treasurable, then those people will receive a hundredfold in this 
time. In this life, in this age, houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands. Here's the promise. God replaces what we lost. He replaces those things we give up for Him. And you say, well, wait a second. How has He replaced those things? I don't have a great house. I don't have a great land. Well, let me tell you something personal. I have seen this very true. And I know there are some of you, because of your profession of faith, that relationships have changed, even in your own homes. We have some here that have lost closeness with their children, with their parents. And let me tell you that there are sometimes when you do that, you will lose friends. You may lose relationships, but Jesus replaces them. And I know that for the case. For my family, I give you the testimony. You and I know that, that I left when my children were young. Brandon, I think, was just hitting eighth grade. And Emily, how old were you? She was eight. So eighth grade at eight years old. And we were from Illinois. Jesus, you know, God says, oh, go to California. And I remember telling my folks, I said, Mom, Dad, we set them down because we knew it was going to be tough. At that time, we had the three grandchildren, and I think my brother had one a little daughter. I said, listen, uh, God has called us to China. And uh, they, they just they about had a heart attack. And I said, no, nah, it's not as bad as that. It's just California. So that, that helped a little bit. But here's what I was doing. We left everything, everything. We left our grandmas and grandpas, aunts and uncles, cousins, which was important in their lives. You guys know that. We left our families, left our jobs. Most of the stuff, they said, well, don't even bring anything out here. We'll help you get what you need because we didn't really have much back where we were anyway. We loaded up the truck kind of like the Beverly Hillbillies and we moved to California. Not Beverly, but Brea area. And when we moved here, it was like, okay, now what are we going to do? And it was a tough summer for our kids as they started anew. Not everyone was happy about the move. But I will tell you how instantly and seamless it seemed as we put ourselves in that church. How not before a week went by, we were in a home that someone said, well, just stay with us until you find... We didn't even have a place to stay at, at, at that point. Dawn didn't have a job. And by the end of that month, not only had we found a place to stay, Dawn had found a work with them, but my family had found, my kids had found a new grandparents. They found new aunts and uncles. They found new cousins. How? God replaces it with the church, and he gives us new family. And then once again, once we were established there after four and a half years, God says, oh, it's time for you to leave that church and, and now come to Orange. And we came to Orange, and all of a sudden, it's like starting all over. And once again, God gives us a new family. Now, that's my testimony. Many of you can say the same thing. For us, the church has always been our family. It's who we've loved. It's who we've done life together with. It's who we support. It's who we help and encourage. That's why the church is so wonderful. That's why we invite you to join us in formal membership. Why? So we can live, so we can do life together, so we can build one another up, encourage one another up, bear one another's burdens, serve one another. So not only do we receive it through the church, but in this time, he says, I will replace those relationships. I will replace that which you lost. But he also promises persecutions. Now, at first, that doesn't sound like such a great thing. It doesn't sound really good, does it? This is one promise I believe that we would all probably agree to forego. However, as we've learned in James' letter, suffering leads to salvation. Take your Bibles real quickly and turn to James chapter 1 near the end of the New Testament. In James chapter 1, we saw this several years ago as we worked our way through this letter. 
is that suffering comes in salvation. God's promise is if you leave, you will have these things with persecution. Look at James chapter 1, verse 2, where he says, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. That suffering, even though it's something that is difficult to go through, you and I need to see the persecutions, the suffering we have, is actually gifts from God to make us more like Him, to sanctify us. Now, how many of you would say, boy, that's wonderful, that's great, give me more suffering? Uh, probably none of us. It's like praying for patience, right? Then what does God do? He gives you things to be patient about. But yes, we need to be happy or not happy. We need to count it with all joy, recognizing that that's one of His promises is to make us more like Him, and then his third promise is that also in the age to come, eternal life. Jesus had warned in Matthew chapter 6 to not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy or where thieves break in and steal, but to lay up ourselves treasures in heaven. Why? Because moth or rust do not destroy there. And thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure, there is your heart also. So he promises to replace in this age those things that we've lost. He promises us suffering that will make us more like him. And he promises us, for those who follow him, who see him as treasurable, he promises a kingdom, eternal life. Jesus finishes by reminding them that many who will be first will be last, and the last first. You and I need to realize that in the end, God will evaluate all things. He will evaluate the wicked and judge them. And he will evaluate his children and evaluate their faithfulness. Jesus is teaching the importance of trusting Christ completely through this story. Coming to him empty-handed, this young man trusted in his wealth, his identity, his position, his status and comfort and security were based upon his wealth. However, and notice this, however, privilege, wealth, Position, status, comfort, and security has no bearing in the internal. For we must come before him empty-handed. Now here's where I want to end. Is once we recognize that we must come empty-handed before him, that salvation is totally a gift from him, you and I must realize that there's some things that you and I need to do from this passage. The first thing that I would tell you to do is you and I must think biblically about our money and our possessions. We must think biblically about our money and possessions. God has not given us money in order to serve ourselves, but to serve the kingdom. Take your Bibles real quickly, 1 Timothy chapter 6. For it's not enough for us to understand this passage. You and I must respond to what the Holy Spirit works. And one of the things that you and I need to do is to learn, think biblically about our money and our possessions. Those things that can prevent us from following God. 1 Timothy chapter 6, look at verse 17. As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on whom? God, 
who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. Verse 18, they are to do good. So what are the rich to do? They are to do good. They are to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, thus storing up treasures for themselves as a good foundation for the future so they may take hold of what is truly life. And let me share with you, here in America, here in Orange County, we are all rich in the world's standards. Even those who have few here still are rich relative to the world. We all can give. We're all called to be cheerful, generous, sacrificial givers. Why? Because that's how God gives. He's a cheerful, generous giver. Now this may be difficult to do to realize that our money is not our own. This may be difficult to do, but the values of the kingdom of God are different than the world's. Kingdom living is different. It is difficult and it's divisive, not only to the surrounding culture, but also to the inside culture, to the church itself. Jesus is teaching that everything that you and I own is to be used for the kingdom. And many times when we're talking about debt, when we're talking about things, there are many things that prevent us from using our money and our possessions for the kingdom. Hence why we say debt is not a good thing to hold. Because any debt, anything that you hold like that, prevents you from serving God fully. And so I encourage you, when you look at your money, when you look at your possessions, when you look at your time and your energy, God has not given it for you to use on yourselves, but to use for the kingdom. So you and I must think biblically about our money and possessions. This young man could not. And then secondly and lastly, we must think biblically about the church, about God's family. This young man is to leave it all and come and follow Jesus. The disciples were to leave it all and come follow Jesus. Look at Acts chapter 4, if you would, real quickly. They were to leave all, come and follow Jesus. Join Jesus' little band of followers to rely on the goodness and charity of others, depending on others. He said, don't worry about money. Don't worry about those things. God will provide. But let me share with you, the way that God provides is through His church, through His bride. Once again, why we invite you to join us in formal church membership. In Acts chapter 4, it says, Now the full number of those who believed were of one heart and one soul, and no one could say that any of the things that belonged to him were his own, but they had everything in common. And with great power, the apostles were given testimony to the resurrection of the Jesus, and great grace was among them. There was not a needy person among them, for as many as were owners of lands or houses sold them, brought the proceeds of what was sold, laid it out at the apostles' feet, and was distributed as each had any need. Thus Joseph, who was also called by the apostles Barnabas, which means son of encouragement. He was a Levite, a native of Cyprus. In verse 37, it says, He sold a field that belonged to him and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. You and I are called to serve and to meet one another's needs. And many of you have done that. Many of you have taken advantage of it. And I encourage you, if you have a need, if you have something that of his importance to you, let it be known to us. Let Dustin, Randy, and I know we want to serve. For those of you who have the access to give, to give to the pantry. Give so that we may give back through our deacon's fund. And hence what I want to say, one last thing here on this. This church is important, the family of God. And I want to encourage you, if you're here, I'm trusting that you're here for good reasons. 
I'm trusting because you proclaim that Jesus is Christ and your desire is to serve this body and not serve your own agenda or to do your own thing or to build your own tribe. For we come here empty-handed, ready to serve and to love one another, to live out Romans chapter 12, 9 through 21. And I encourage you, that's the heart of this church. If your thoughts are anything else, then this is not the place. This church is loving one another, bearing one another's burdens, encouraging one another's. Let's do the things that Christ has called us to do as we see that we're to think biblically about our money and possessions. We're to think biblically about the church and God's family. Why? Because He has bought us and He's redeemed us as a new people, ready to inherit eternal life. With every head bowed and every eye closed, I would ask you to take a moment to pause, to consider, to pray, and respond. What is it that God is calling you to do? Have you come today? Are you still looking for something? Let me share with you, Jesus. Are you coming to Jesus with your hands full, saying, look at me, look what I've done? Would you just drop those things? Would you just let them go? Would you realize that salvation cannot be earned? It cannot be obtained except as a gift from God. Would you realize that God rewards those who follow him? Don't lose heart. Continue the race. Count the cost and see that he's worth it. Father, you are a good God. And we thank you for your salvation. And I thank you for your son that you've sent, Lord, who's appropriated our salvation for us or given us, who's obtained that for us. And Father, I pray that if there's any here that do not know you as Savior, Father, let them know that today is the day of salvation. May they seek you out. May they call to you. May they leave all to follow you. Repent from dead works and turn and put their trust fully in you. Lord, that you may be glorified. And Father, may we take that message and may we share it accurately and clearly with those we love and those you bring into our areas of influence and into our world. Lord, that we may confirm that you are the Lord and salvation is from you. Lord, help us to think biblically with our money, our possessions. Let us think biblically about your church and about your body. May we serve it. May we love it. For you have died for that church. And may we serve it in the way that you've called us to. We thank you for your grace and your spirit. We praise in Christ's name. And God's people said, Amen. We hope you have enjoyed this week's Walking in Faith podcast. We encourage you to share this podcast with others in order to help spread God's message to all those in need. If you have any questions or comments, we would love to hear from you. Email us at walkinginfaith at orangevilla.org. You can help us spread this podcast by writing a review at iTunes. And don't forget to visit us online at orangevilla.org. There you will find more information about our ministry, as well as share your thoughts, submit prayer requests, and find out how you can help others to grow in God's love. Until next week, may God bless you in everything you do.